Welcome to the second episode in this two-part series on merger control approvals required in cross-border transactions. My name's Adelaide Luke, a senior associate in the Competition, Regulation and Trade team, and I'm based in Hong Kong. And with me once again is my colleague, Sarah Benbow, a partner in the Competition, Regulation and Trade team in Melbourne. Thanks, Adelaide. Hello, everyone. In the last episode, we discussed merger control trends in the Asia-Pacific region and discussed in particular the impact that merger control can have on the transaction timeline. We also talked about how the different regimes around the world vary in terms of their rules, procedure and enforcement priorities. In this episode, we turn to the topic of gun jumping. Most typically, this term is used in jurisdictions that have mandatory and suspensory filing requirements, which means that the transaction must be filed when the thresholds are met and completion of the transaction cannot happen until clearance is received. Some of the most crucial jurisdictions that operate this mandatory and suspensory system are the EU, China, South Korea and Japan. So, Sarah, what do we mean when we talk about gun jumping in Australia, given that it is not mandatory to seek clearance from the ACCC prior to completing a deal? That's a really good question, Adelaide. Um, In Australia, gun jumping is used to refer to circumstances where competitors engage in coordinated conduct prior to completion of a deal, when at that time they are still ostensibly considered to be competitors. And this type of gun jumping conduct could contravene the Competition and Consumer Act. So would an example of this be cartel conduct? That's right. And the ACCC has just brought its first court case for gun jumping cartel conduct, which we'll talk about shortly. However, before we dive into the substantive discussion, I think it was worth setting the scene by saying that in some jurisdictions, the penalties associated with gun jumping can be really big. Obviously, in Australia, the penalties for gun jumping cartel conduct are very serious um, because cartel conduct includes potential jail time for individuals found guilty of a criminal offence. However, I'm also thinking of the EU, which may fine gun jumping parties up to 10% of their worldwide turnover for failing to adhere to the EU merger regulation. And a recent case that's made headlines was the record-breaking fine imposed by the European Commission on Altice earlier this year, which was for a total fine of 124.5 million euros. And I think we'll discuss the details of this case later in this episode. Yeah, that's right. I mean, in comparison to that, though, in the Asian jurisdictions, you have more limited fines, actually. But there is a bigger reputational or relationship issues because companies don't want to damage their relationship with the regulator in, for example, China, where the competent authority is now the very powerful state administration for market supervision. And that authority is in charge of a whole host of other supervision and regulation that might be relevant to a business operating in China. Many of the Asian jurisdictions are also in the midst of reconsidering the scale of fines prescribed in their laws, and they're looking to revise these upwards in order to act as a greater deterrent. But let's start with the recent developments in Australia, Sarah. Thanks, Adelaide. Um, The ACCC recently announced that it has instituted proceedings against a company called Cryocyte, which is a private supplier of cord blood and tissue banking services. I think I've seen a bit of publicity about this. You would have. As I mentioned, it's the first time that the ACCC has instituted court proceedings for gun jumping conduct in Australia, and the ACCC has come out with some very strong statements, including that the parties have undercut the competitive process and undermined the effective functioning of the ACCC merger review process. 
Mm. So what actually happened? Essentially, Cryosite, which was the target in the deal, entered into an asset sale agreement with its only other competitor in cord blood and tissue banking services in Australia, which was called Cellcare. And did the parties seek clearance from the ACCC? They didn't, which, as we've discussed, they were not obliged to, as Australia is not a mandatory notification regime. However, the ACCC initiated its own review of the deal and launched an investigation into the terms of the asset sale agreement. The agreement required Cryosite to refer all customer inquiries to the buyer before completion. Cryosite also publicly announced that it would cease marketing and providing collection and storage services to new customers. As this occurred prior to completion of the deal, when uh, Cryosite and Cellcare were still considered to be competitors, the ACCC is alleging that the arrangement amounts to cartel conduct. So where are things at? When, When should we expect to hear more? The proceedings for this case have only recently been instituted and the first hearing is not until 18 December this year. A trial date hasn't been set, so we will have to wait and see. Okay. What about that uh, Pacific National and Horizon deal that we mentioned in part one of this merger control podcast series? This is going to be another really interesting case to watch, Adelaide. The ACCC's that particular case as a test of its new, tougher approach to evidence gathering in merger control cases. The ACCC has commenced court proceedings alleging that the deal itself is anti-competitive and also that the parties have reached an anti-competitive understanding relating to the deal. The matter relates to the sale by Horizon of its intermodal rail business in Australia. Mm. So, Sarah, what are the allegations concerning the related anti-competitive understanding? The ACCC is alleging that as part of the deal between Pacific National and Horizon, the parties agreed that Horizon would exclusively negotiate with Pacific National for the sale of the Queensland part of Horizon's business, and also that Pacific National would either acquire or otherwise control a key part of the Horizon infrastructure, being the Queensland terminal. And finally, that if Pacific National did not acquire the Queensland part of the business, Horizon would actually close this part of the business. The ACCC is effectively concerned that this agreement would create a monopoly on rail freight services in Queensland and significantly reduce competition in interstate markets. Mm. And the ACCC sees this as a breach of the Competition and Consumer Act? That's right. Aside from considering that the deal itself would substantially lessen competition, the ACCC is also alleging that these related agreements amounted to understandings that are likely to substantially lessen competition in contravention of Section 45 of the Competition and Consumer Act. That's interesting, Sarah. Do we have a date for this one? We do, actually, Adelaide. The hearing is supposed to commence on the 19th of November this year and a judgment is expected to be delivered before Christmas, so watch this space. But let's turn to Asia. Adelaide, we've heard quite a lot of buzz recently around the Uber Grab transaction in Southeast Asia. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, sure, Sarah. Um, So this relates to the recent acquisition of Uber's Southeast Asian business by its main competitor in the region, Grab. The transaction attracted the attention of lots of authorities across the Southeast Asian region, despite the parties being of the view that no merger control filings were required. On this basis, the parties announced and completed their transaction at the same time without obtaining any merger control approvals in the process. Here, the Singapore Authority, which is called the CCCS, launched an investigation into the transaction shortly after it was announced, and it preliminarily found that the transaction had led to a substantial lessening of competition. 
The authority imposed interim measures and it's currently consulting on a proposed infringement decision and fine. And this fine would be the first one to be imposed by the CCCS in the context of a merger. This all occurred despite there being only a voluntary filing regime in Singapore. So it has a, it has a regime that's very similar to Australia. Across the region, the competition authorities in Vietnam and the Philippines also launched formal investigations. The Vietnamese authorities' review actually remains ongoing at the moment, whereas the Philippine authority first imposed interim measures on the parties and then granted approval subject to conditions. Nevertheless, the Philippines authority has also publicly stated that it is actively monitoring the parties for compliance with the interim measures imposed, and it's re-emphasised that they may still impose a fine for any future breach. Even more interestingly, the transaction managed to draw the ire of regulators that did not have jurisdiction to review the transaction, such as Indonesia and Malaysia. I mean, in Malaysia, there's not even an active merger control regime at all at the moment. In both of these countries, the regulators expressed discontent over the fact that they didn't have the ability to formally review it from a merger control perspective. And they both announced that they'd be keeping a very close eye on the operations of Uber and Grab post-transaction to ensure compliance with the competition law rules from a conduct perspective. Adelaide, I think this case really illustrates the point that we discussed in the previous merger control episode, which is the fact that there's a very varied patchwork of merger control and competition law regimes in Asia that can impact deals. Yeah, that's right, Sarah. And it illustrates how a comprehensive multi-jurisdictional analysis is really important in some cases, rather than a limited pinpointing of specific jurisdictions to consider. I think the case also demonstrates how it is important to give some consideration to the substantive effects of the transaction, not focus solely on applying the jurisdictional thresholds, as this exercise may miss potential problem areas where a filing is not formally required but there's likely to be regulatory interest. Thanks, Adelaide. And I mentioned earlier the Altice case, and I just wanted to touch on that briefly because, well, the fines in that case were staggering, 124 million euros for gun jumping. I understand that one of the key issues in that case was early integration. Is, is that right? Yes, that's right. So this wasn't a case of the parties simply not filing when they were supposed to. They actually submitted a notification to the European Commission But before they obtained clearance, they started to integrate. And what do you mean by starting to integrate in that case? Well, one example included Altice, the acquirer, directing the target's marketing campaign. So interestingly, in this case, the commission looked at the transaction documents, the purchase agreement, and found that too many rights were conferred to Altice prior to clearance being obtained, so prior to completion. That actually sounds a bit like the Australian cryocyte case. Um, mm. But is this the second fine for LTs? Yes, they've been unlucky. In 2016, they were fined 80 million euros by the French authority for similar conduct, integration prior to completion. Parties really need to be careful between that, that, in that stage between notification and completion in suspensory regimes. The authorities are very, very wary of an acquirer taking control over the target before the authority has a chance to bless the transaction. This can be extremely frustrating to the deal team who often want to hit the ground running pretty much as soon as the SPA is signed. And I think as we're seeing Adelaide, the same concerns also arise in Australia where the ACCC has now started um, 
well, it appears started looking more closely at pre-completion conduct by the parties. Mm. Well, thank you very much, Adelaide. That's It's been great talking about the crossover between the Asia-Pacific jurisdictions and Australia and the merger control considerations that impact uh, both regions. Thanks, Sarah. Well, that's the end of part two of our merger control and competition law series as part of the M&A Herbert Smith Freehills podcast series. Thank you. You have been listening to a podcast brought to you by Herbert Smith Freehills. For more episodes, please go to our channel on iTunes or SoundCloud and visit our website herbertsmithfreehills.com for more insights relevant to your business.